Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. How are we going to verify that this actually belongs to someone now that you've shown everyone? Matthew. Are we just trusting that we're in church and no one's going to lie? You can take it, actually, because it, maybe God planted it for us. Yeah? Maybe he's trying to bless us, and we're just like, whose is this? Actually, how much was in there? It might be mine. <laughs> uh, it's good to be back in church, right? Just as Matthew said, it's really good. Uh, last week... I felt a bit like uh, a fish out of water. It was like really strange having people in the room. And I was like staring at the camera and kind of ignoring everyone because I was like, this is weird. There's people in the room and they're looking at me. But I think I'm a little bit more comfortable now. But I don't know about everyone that was there last week, but I thought it was just a real tangible sense of God's presence. I just felt so blessed being here. It just, it just reminded me of everything that we were missing. And then again on Thursday night, we had uh, prayer and worship night. And there was about, I think, 15 of us gathered, um, and we just had a beautiful time. Bobby was leading us in worship, uh, and just God was really just speaking to us and just really encouraging us. And it, it just reminded me of the blessing of the gathering, if, if we ever forgot, right? That it's, sensing his presence manifests in ways that we just can't replicate on our own. There's, there's something about the corporate gathering, the corporate worship, that is just so special and so unique. And I remember Pastor Quinton shared last week, he said that, you, 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 the church, you're a balm to my soul. And it reminded me of Psalm 133, where it says, how good it is when God's people live in unity together. It's like an oil running down the beard, a, a morning dew, for there the Lord bestows his blessing. I, I really believe that. I really believe that God blesses the gathering. He loves to see us dwelling in unity. He loves to see us coming together. And, you know, it's just as we were praying and, uh, sorry, praising and worshiping then, I thought, you know, if, if we didn't do anything more than come here this morning and praise him and thank him and just seek him, that would be a worthwhile exercise. It's, it's just so, such, such an honor to be in his presence and, and come before him with thanksgiving on our heart. And a number of us have been, I've just been hearing this echoing around it, people have been testifying of this blessing just the sense of joy, the, the sense of a refreshing experience of being back in church, of his presence. You know, one of the challenges of this past year has been those periods of isolation that have been enforced on us, of course. And without that corporate experience that we're enjoying right now of God, there is a risk, there is a risk that our faith can become unreal to us. That... Um, because we do, we, do learn, we do lean on these experiences, right? You know, sometimes we're not doing so well personally, but we can come to church and we can be encouraged by being around people that are faithful, that are doing well. And so they can become, it can definitely become um, a way for us to cope in times of struggling in seasons of our faith, right? And, and these, these experiences that we have, they, they help create a sense of belonging for us that even when we struggle with these shared experiences that we have together as a church, as a church family, they can develop with, without that in our life. If, if we don't have it like we have in this past year, we can develop a, a disconnect, right? We can, there can be an indifference developing our faith where, where we kind of question if we, if we really belong, if, if, like, where are we with our faith, right? And I'm happy to say that much of the concern that I had at the beginning of this pandemic when we realized we're not going to be able to have church on Sundays, mind blown, is a lot of those concerns had actually turned out to be unfounded, that God has sustained us and he's kept us together as a church body, even though we've been scattered around the city and online. And, and we come out of it perhaps even more determined to build his kingdom. And I think that's just a testament to the faith of of the people in this church and, and just your amazing relationship with him on a personal level. But it's understandable, right? It's understandable in a time of shaking like we've had in this past year. We've had our world shaken that in this experience of the pandemic that we ask questions. We ask questions about the substance of our faith. Are we really believers? Like, what makes us so different? 
Now, going to church on Sunday mornings is, is an identity-forming activity. It's who we are. It's what we do. We go to church because we love God. We prioritize Him. I'm a Christian. That's what I do on Sunday mornings, right? But when that's taken away from us, when that's no longer a part of our routines, I feel like you have no option but to, to wonder, what, it, what is it that actually makes you a Christian? What is so unique about my life compared to all the other people that are also at home on a Sunday mornings now? Now, I, um, I recently spoke at Creative Mornings. It's a breakfast series for creatives in the city of Malmo that I helped found seven years ago. And I was asked to talk on the topic resiliency, uh, which I didn't think come naturally to me. So it was a bit of a challenge to think about it. And the talk ended up being a testimonial, really, a testimonial of how I navigate, as a believer, really, the challenges of life. And um, uh, the subtitle of my, my talk was basically how to not burn out, because I think a lot of people are uh, talking about that topic right now. So I wanted to, to have my take on it. And one of the things that I reflected on during the preparation for this talk was that the life that Jesus modeled for us produces, I believe, resilient followers. It produces a resilience in us naturally. That as we are committed to a process of discipleship, our self-reflection, powered by the Holy Spirit, helped by the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it grows our dependence on an unshakable source, and that is our Father in heaven. A real life of faith produces resiliency as it's an unshakable faith. It's something that's rock solid. It's something dependable. That even through this pandemic year, we can have something that, that is stable, that is trustworthy, because we have a faithful Father in heaven. You know, on Friday, we celebrated the graduation of Max Litchfield. Uh, many of them know, know him as the, uh, the youngest child of Quentin and Suzanne. Some of you might recognize him as our drummer, normally here on a Sundays. And... Um, it was just a privilege, actually, to be there and to, to be a part of that occasion celebrating Max. Um, he's been a faithful servant in the church. In the, be in the beginning years, it was involuntarily. He was dragged along to church. But then he actually found a heart for the church and actually started helping out the youth, started helping out yeah, in the worship team. And we were hearing that those testimonies from people in the church of just what a beautiful spirit he has about him, what a great character, and, and really being a, a builder of this church, even at a young age. And so we were able to pray for him, we were able to bless his future, and he got me thinking about my two boys, who are quite way away from doing their own student, and, but one day, the realization, one day they're also going to leave the nest, right? And it is a challenge to all parents, and it can be daunting sometimes, a challenge to prepare our children for the life out in the wild, when they're going to, we're going to take the training wheels off, and they're going to be out there, and they're going to have to face challenges uh, pretty much alone. And we know that our kids will face, just like we have in this past year, they're going to face some shaking of their own. They're going to face some shaking of their faith when they're out in the world. Things are going to be challenged. They're not going to be under the, the shelter that is maybe the family or their home church as they move away, perhaps. But we do our best to hand down our faith, right? We do our best to prepare our children. We do our best to prepare our people in our world and, and pour into them and, and help guide them, right? But the, the reality is, is that ultimately, they have to make it on their own. Ultimately, we have to make it on our own. We have to have our own faith. We have to have our own experiences, our own challenges, and it has to be tested. And, and so to, to aid, I think that's that's important thing for us to consider. It's important for us to consider the health of our faith. Is it stable? Is it rock solid? Do I have this unshakable faith that is going to be required in different periods of my life? And so we need to consider the health of our faith. And to aid in that, I would like us to read from the book of Acts this morning. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to chapter 4. And I'm going to be reading today from verses 23 to 37. It's quite a long passage. I'm going to read that through, and then I'm going to be sort of speaking out of it this morning. Um, so let's jump on in. I think you'll have the, the verses on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Right, so it says this. It says, On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the sea and everything in them. 
You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All of the believers were in were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need." And it continues. Amazing uh, passage. There's a lot in there. And I think um, I'm going to just unpack that this morning. And Because Acts is about the origins of Christianity. It's the origins of the church. It's Whenever you go to the origins, there's a few things that you can learn. That. You can learn something about what is genuine, what is authentic, what is solid, what, it, what is real, what is a faithful follower according to the definition that we see in the lives that they lived. And that is important because many people base their unbelief, the reason why they don't believe in God, uh, to some degree on maybe what it were, they felt it was like to be a Christian. Maybe they were a Christian before. They tried it, but you know, it, it, just, it just wasn't real to them. It, they didn't, it just doesn't work for them, right? Or maybe they've seen it in other people and they just didn't like the fruit of it. So they're basing it on their idea of Christianity, right? And what they think it is like. And so this inevitably leads to the question, because I'm sure you all know people like that in your world. It leads to the question, well, who is or was a real Christian anyways? What is that? Because there are some bad examples. There's some good examples and there's some bad examples. So if you ask yourself every day the question, am I a real Christian? Am I doing this right? If you do that all the time, constantly questioning yourself, am I saved? Am I a believer? Am I a Christian? That would drive you crazy. And I've known people that fret over that question their whole lives, and I can tell you that it's not helpful and it's not healthy. But on the other hand, if you never ask that question, if you never ask how you're doing with God, if you are a faithful follower, that's also not healthy. So on the basis of this text, looking at the book of Acts, the early church, I'd like to raise the question this morning to all of us. What are the marks of an unshakable, real faith? Because that's what we're aiming for, right? We're looking for an unshakable real faith that's going to stand the test of time. You might think that being a real believer is going to church. Better yet, serving, paying a tithe, right? Of course, uh, you've got to believe the creed. We'll have to agree on that one. And maybe even having a fish on your car. All right, no one does that anymore. But my mom always had that. She was adamant we had to have a fish on the car. My dad hated it. It's not a Christian. Okay, but... Perhaps it's something more obvious like living a good life, right? Every Christian should live a good life, be a good person. That's a Christian. But the reality is this, that even demons and the devil believes in God. He knows a lot about God. He'd probably agree about a lot of stuff that we claim as really important truths, right? And there are plenty of people out in the world that live good lives. Some of them actually lead better lives than I do. So there's a bit of a problem there. What is it that actually makes me unique? What is it that makes me a faithful follower? Well, these things, of course, they, they might be necessary signs. We know we're supposed to be a part of a faith community. We're supposed to give to God. We're supposed to live a righteous life and serve him in, in all these ways. But they're necessary, but in themselves, they're not sufficient. It's not enough. What we're looking for here is we're looking for unique signs that make us set apart the set-apart people of God. What is it that separates us? 
And so from this passage, I, I see four marks of an unshakable faith that I'd like to unpack this morning. So my first one is serving God consistently, especially in times of suffering. Because in the, in the book of Acts, if you've read the whole book before, you know that everything goes well in Acts 1 to 3, right? They're, they're growing, the day of Pentecost, God adds numbers to them, signs and miracles, you know, the, the word is spreading, this movement is on fire, everyone wants to be a part about it, they're getting publicity, everything. It's all going good, right? But then you get to chapter 4, and the wheels start to come off a little bit. Because the, the religious establishment, they're not so happy about this new movement that is preaching a different message that they believe is actually heresy. So they drag Jesus' followers before them in court and make accusations about them that they're being heretical. They throw them in prison and they threaten them. They say, if you don't stop spreading this heresy, bad stuff's going to happen. And reading the Bible, you can just imagine what that could be, right? So you can just see that things have changed here. They was all going fine and dandy, and now things are getting serious. Things are getting a little bit scary right now. Okay, so that's where we pick it up in chapter 4. Their lives are being threatened because they're preaching the gospel. This is their first experience as an early church of suffering that Jesus actually spoke about that would actually come. And that's the reality for all of us, that our faith, uh, faith at some time will face trial, right? It will be tested. And especially for young people, that is often when they leave the nest and that their faith actually has to be their own, right? And that, can be, that question can be challenged, right? And so one good example of this is the book of Job. It's an extreme example, an extreme example of, of being tested in your faith. But it's, it's a, very, a lot of wisdom from that book if you just <laughs> interpret it from the right way and, and, and really get the context of it. So Job loses, every, Job loses everything conceivable. I mean, his life gets absolutely flipped upside down. As I said, it's an extreme example. And there's basically 40 chapters of tears and anger and ranting and raving. And people would say, God, that guy, he ain't doing well. <laughs> his faith is really in a bad place, right? He, he's doing bad. But then you read the end of the book, and God vindicates him and blesses him and seems to be really happy with him. And you think, well, that, that's kind of strange. Did that go? No. Um, that's kind of strange. How did that happen? He, he, he seemed to be in a really bad spot, and then God lifts him up and blesses him. But the clue, the reason why this happened is you can go back to chapter one, you'll hear that it begins with the accuser, Satan, asking God, does Job serve God for nothing? He's suggesting that Job actually isn't a faithful servant, that he's only a servant because of the benefits. He's not a servant, he's a consumer. He's just enjoying things and, and giving you thanks for what he's getting, right? And that can be the accusation of many Christians. Are we just consumers? You know, that was a discussion this past year. Well, now there's no church. There's no benefits of being a part of a church. Why be a part of a church family? So there, there was an assumption that we are just consumers, that we don't serve God for God, that we serve God for the benefits. That's a challenge. That's a question that has to be asked of every follower of Jesus Christ. Why do you serve him? So Satan actually suggested that if God raised the cost, Job wouldn't continue to follow him, that he didn't serve out a love for God, but love for blessings. In the end, Job is vindicated. Why, why was he vindicated? Because he rants and raves. He takes his complaint and from, to God. His suffering didn't drive him away. It didn't create a wedge between him and God. It didn't change anything about his desire to have a relationship with God. In fact, it had just intensified his prayer life. True servants serve God out of gratitude and not benefit. Satan was right in one thing, that the mark of true, uh, that the mark of true servanthood, a, a faithfulness that couldn't, is a faithfulness that cannot be shaken. I can, when I was just thinking about this, I couldn't help think about the amazing Faree family in our church, right? Uh, Matthew and Christelle, you've heard them share their testimony of some of the suffering they've been through, the seasons that they've been in. And the reason why I mention that is because a lot of us walked with them through those dark periods, right, where they lost their twins. 
an extremely difficult time. And could just imagine as just a, a bystander what was going through their minds, what they were processing, right? And at that season, I got to say, I didn't think Matthew and Christelle were in a good spot. They, they were having a really tough time. They weren't doing well. It was, it was like kind of looking at Job, and they had a lot of questions on their heart. They had a lot of complaints in their heart. Why is this happening? Why us, right? And I totally understand that, right? But then fast forward to today. Matthew and Christelle are about to plant a church in Lund. And you think, how did that happen? How do they get from that place of, of disappointment and, and at times, I'm sure, anger in your heart and like anguish? How do they get from there to, I'm going to serve God and plant a church in Lund? Well, I think they did exactly the same thing that Job did. They didn't let that drive them away from God. In fact, it intensified their prayers. They took that complaint to God. And as a result, God lifted them up and helped them through that season. And that's such an incredible testimony. There's many more testimonies, I'm sure, like that in our church. But I know you, a lot of you are familiar with that story. And I think it just really reflects that attitude that we need to have, that we need to be uh, consistent in serving God even through the seasons of suffering. That is the mark of a faithful follower. You know, the apostles did the same thing in the face of suffering. They took it to God. They'd just been thrown in jail. They'd just been threatened. So what do they do at the beginning of this passage? They take it to God. They don't pray what sometimes we would. Uh, God, change the circumstance. Get rid of these people. <laughs> right? Take them out of the picture. Uh, they don't pray vengeance, like rain down your fire on them. Uh, they don't even pray first for protection. Just protect me. Don't let anything bad happen to me. They don't pray that. What they do pray for is courage to continue to serve. I'm not stopping. No, God, I'm coming to you, and I, I want, I'm trusting you to help me to continue your mission, to continue building your kingdom. It wasn't about them, but it was about God's mission. There's a key right there. Because the thing is, there's nothing wrong with praying for our needs, Jesus put it in the Lord's Prayer. He said, give us today our daily bread. But it's not the primary thing. It's not the primary thing that we should be going to God with. Because you, you really can't be sure if you're faithful when your life is just going fine. It needs to be tested. And, and the tragedy is that many quit their faith because of what they went through. Well, I mean, if, if I have to go through things, like that, through things like that in my life, well, what's the point in serving God? This Christian thing is not working for me. Like, I'm not interested. If that's who God is, you let that happen to me, I'm done. You see that happening. It's a tragedy. They're missing the boat right there. But it's, it's natural that we will come in seasons of our life where we'll have questions for God. You're, the, the relate, you might find that maybe your relationship was based on benefits, that maybe we were serving God for ourselves, that we kind of ask with hard questions about why we do serve God. And, you know, I think we easily do this, but there's something really wrong with that. There's something really wrong when we have a relationship that's only based on the benefits and, the, and, and maybe how well the, the seasons have been going up until that point. That if, if something can shake your world and cause you to drop a relationship, then you have to question the basis of that relationship in the first place. I mean, this might sound harsh, but if you just think about it in your own context, right? Imagine having that attitude, because I think we have that attitude more than we would like to admit. I mean, it would be awful for a husband, for example, to leave his wife. I think we all agree this. So it would be awful for a husband to leave his wife because she couldn't have children. I mean, we all agree that. That would be awful, right? Or it would be awful for a wife to leave her husband because her husband lost his job. Like, you can't put anything on the table, I'm gone. What's, there's no point in this relationship. That, I mean, that's unthinkable. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? And yet, sometimes we can have that attitude with God. Like, God, you've got to come through here if you really are my God. You have, to, you have to give me this and this and this and, you know, you know what I want. But sometimes we can do that. We can let that, creep, that attitude creep into the way we approach God in our relationship with him. But we have to remember that we made a vow, just like we do in marriage, it's for better or for worse, 
in sickness and in health, whatever season we're in, we have to show that commitment. We need to have that same commitment to God. It's unconditional, God. I will serve you through thick and thin because I know at the end of the day, you are faithful. That wherever I go through, you will bring me through it. You will bring me through those seasons. No matter how hard it is, I'm, I'm not going to let that situation drive a wedge between me and you. No, I'm going to intensify my prayer because I know that you will bring me through that season. That's what we see in the followers of Jesus in the book of Acts there. Okay, second point you would get is that you, a mark of a, a faithful follower is that you're getting to know God deliberately. John 17, 3 says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. As I said, demons know a lot about God, probably more than we do, right? They've been around for a while. But to know him is what makes you, to know him, to truly know him, that's what makes you a faithful follower. And the key is it's a personal relationship. It's not your mom and dad's relationship. It's, it's not your partner's relationship. It's your relationship. It's you that has to tend to that. It's personal, right? So it, it's like love. It's, it's, it's easier to experience or describe than it is to define. It's not like a checklist, right? People raised in church or people that have experienced church can feel like they believed that they, they were a part of something, that they knew stuff about God. But maybe a change in the circumstance, maybe a change in environment can mean that your faith that was once a part of your life now feels unreal to you. Maybe you re- move to a new city and you, just, you feel that disconnect and indifference to the things of God because you were leaning on something else that wasn't your own maybe. It's possible... This is the truth. It's possible to have a second-hand experience of God, that your faith is, is experienced for other people. I mean, that's, that was true of me as a kid. You know, my mom, everything came through my mom. She taught me everything, you know, and I'm so thankful for that. But at some point, I had to step out and learn these things for myself. She prepared me the best I could, that she could, but eventually it had to become my own, Right? It's possible to live out of other people's enthusiasm, right? So, but then you can realize when you're out of that environment that you never had your own relationship. Because we need a revelation that Christ died for us. That Christ died for me, singular. And a lot of times we're like, yeah, yeah, Christ died for, for the world, yeah. But no, he died for you. That's a really important revelation. It has to become personal to you. Now, the thing about relationships is that they're two-way, right? Everyone knows this stuff, right? Did you know that, that like a survey not so many years back said that one out of five Swedes say they pray regularly? I don't know who they're praying to, but they <laughs> pray regularly. They prob- um, I'm assuming they probably pray for needs, right? They pray for things that they need, like God, like, you know, last night I was praying for Christian Eriksson, a uh, Danish footballer, just collapsed in the field, and everyone was praying, like, like everyone, it doesn't matter if you're religious or not. Well, let's pray for him, let's pray for him. You know, God, help him survive. Thank God he survived. But that's a natural right. We, a lot of people have prayer as part of their life, even if they don't even have a relationship with God. And if you pray, and that is the whole sum of your relationship with God, that's the only thing you do to interact with God, I would suggest that's, that's actually not a personal relationship. See, because... Um, do, do we have a personal relationship with Fedora, uh, the takeaway delivery firm, or Martem, and deliver groceries to you? No, that's ridiculous. Why even mention that, Justin? Because you know we make orders to them, and they come with the things that we've asked for. And you, you, know, you might think that's a personal relationship, but I can tell you, they don't think it's personal, right? And Eugene Peterson said something really important that we have to get about prayer. He says, true prayer isn't just talking to God. True prayer is answering God. And there's a really important principle here that we have to understand around prayer is that, just think about young kids, right? So my youngest, um, Eden, he's just about to turn two years old. He's starting to use way more vocabulary, starting to speak more. And everything that he says is a response. He's responding to what we are saying. He's, he's like mirroring it, like he's learning words from us, right? Everything he says is a response. It's responding. Children respond to their parents. And the truth is, it's the same with God. 
God has spoken and revealed himself in his word. He's poured out himself on these pages. He's told you who he is. He's, he's told you promises. He's told you things about your future, very personal things. He's poured it out. And yet sometimes we don't even use this. We just go with a shopping list, right? We just ignore what he said to us. And imagine someone sat you down and poured out their story, told you all about their life. It was rich. It was powerful. It had lessons. It had wisdom. It was a personal story with you. And you just responded by changing the subject and talking about yourself. Imagine that. All the wives are like, that's not so hard to imagine. <laughs> but that's obviously wrong, you know, to talk about yourself. You should respond to that, right? When somebody pours out their heart and tells you something about themselves, you should respond to that. And you should, you should talk to them uh, on the basis of that knowledge about what you know about them, right? It should be personal. We can't just ignore what they said, and we shouldn't be ignoring what God has said. We should be responding to what he said. Otherwise, it's just talking about yourself. It's not very personal. You might feel like, well, I would never do that, but I think sometimes we can easily treat God in that way without even realizing it. The Bible is God. It's pouring out his heart to us. So when we pray, we should be responding to what he told us. That's why it's so powerful to read the scripture because it's things that he's given us. He's told us about his nature. He wants us to, to make use of it. So that's what the apostles did. What did they do? Read in the passage, they go to the Bible and they quote, Psalm 2, something that they learned about God's nature from David, right? They lean on that, what God has revealed about himself. Because they, remember, they're scared. They've just come out of prison. They've been threatened. So what do they do? They don't, they don't just like come over a shopping list. No, they, they lean on what God has promised. They lean on that. They, they could have easily just said, you know, I'm, I'm scared. Give me peace. Give us courage. You're going through the list of things that they feel like they need right now. And that's quite a natural response sometimes. But no, they're strategic about this. They're very strategic. They take one of the attributes of God that he has told them about himself, his wisdom, his goodness, his control, and they apply it to their situation, right? By talking to God about what he said. That's a good conversation, right? When a husband and wife are talking and it is like you're responding to what they said. You're showing that you're listening and, and, and you're... You're reminding them about things. You, it's, it's, that's, a, that's a fruitful conversation. Right? I think you understand what I'm saying here. And, and that's how we need to approach God. We need, we need, to, we need to lean on what he's already he told us. We, we, we shouldn't be treating him like there's some kind of like Amazon of heaven. You know, you just fill up your shopping cart and, and you're done, like in, in no time. No, but it's a two-way relationship, right? You got, so for that, you've got to know the Bible. And you've got to answer what he says. And you can start small and you can start simple. Maybe you're just reading a psalm or just one line of scripture and just praying into that. Because you've got to know what he says. So what they do here is, is a really important exercise that I think that we need to get hold of. That they, they think about who he is until they get peace. They think about, they talk to him as he is until it gives peace them faith, until it causes faith to arise in them. And this is the makings, I think, of a rock-solid faith, an unshakable faith. In verses 27 to 28, they remember who he is, and as a result, they have no fear of the future. They go into the scripture, and they get so emboldened by that, so emboldened by the truth of what he told us. Do you remember what he said? They're so emboldened by that. They're not, they're not fearful anymore. Their prayer is God-centered and not me-centered. You get your needs when you put your focus on heaven, not your focus on what's going on. If you focus on heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's when things will start to change in your, in your inner world and also around you, when your focus is on him. My third point is this, that the, the marks of a faithful follower is you experience God periodically. What does it say here? It says that they are filled with the Spirit because they are serving God consistently and they're getting to know God intentionally, being very intentional about getting to know God. They were filled with the Spirit. That doesn't mean that before then they were walking around in the flesh, that God wasn't with them, of course. 
There, there's, there's no indication of that being true, if that's what you thought. But being filled with the Spirit, this is some, it's kind of a, it's a bit of a paradox. It's something to get our head around, the differentiation between God's presence and omnipresence, that he's always with us, and the fact that at times he fills us, that he becomes manifest in, in our world in a much more tangible and real way than on other occasions, right? That, that's, some, that's kind of a bit of a mystery about God. They were filled with the Spirit. That means the coming of the Comforter, as we learned back in when we were uh, Pentecost Sunday, that the, the Holy Spirit is a Comforter, he, that he would take of Jesus and he would manifest it in us. Take the things you know with your head and make it real to your heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Makes it so real to you. So real that it's undeniable. J.I. Packer's theologian said this, that the ministry of the Spirit is what he calls the spotlight ministry. The Holy Spirit, his job is to illuminate the beauty of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit fills you, he makes things beautiful. He, he, he makes the gospel come alive to you. You know, he ushers like beautiful words in your heart. They just make things real to you. It makes it manifest to you. That it's not just the truth that's in your head. It comes down to your heart. That God isn't just present for you, but very real to us in these moments when the Holy Spirit fills us. Now, this isn't something that happens all the time, but it should be happening periodically in our life. We should be encountering God throughout our journey of faith. It's not a constant state, but it's something that helps us in our journey, encourages us. You know, if you are passionately embracing your, your wife or your husband, um, in that moment, you're experiencing intimacy, right? On a, on, a, on a different level, right? But the fact is that it doesn't make you more married. You're not more married now because you're experiencing intimacy. You are married. It's a fact. You are together. But you can experience a greater intimacy in that way. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. We know that God is with us, that God never leaves us, but we can experience a greater intimacy that can make things feel real and it can be so encouraging to us and it keeps us a healthiness in our relationship, right? Same thing with God. In the same way, the Holy Spirit can fill us and take things that we know and make it suddenly so real to us and empower us. His power can become so real you're not afraid anymore. You're not afraid of whatever's going on around you. His love is, can become so real that you don't feel ashamed anymore. Now, we don't need these experiences all the time. We, we, we don't live that way. But in choice moments, God visits us in that way, makes something so manifest to us because he knows that we need it. He knows we need that encouragement, just like we need those intimate moments with our husband or wife. Now, we shouldn't expect to always walk around on an emotional high. And I find that really comforting because I'm not like one of those super excitable persons. I'm a bit like, yeah, if you know me, it might be surprising to hear. Um, that, that, is, that shouldn't be the expectation of the Christian, that you're always going to be on high, like, oh, it's like, oh, I'm just so in love with God and everything's amazing. And like, you know, just like your head's in the clouds all the time. That, that's, that's not reality day to day, Right. We don't, we don't live that way, and, and that's comforting to know that it's not that what, what's going on in our emotional world that makes us a Christian. What makes us a Christian is Jesus' finished work. It's what he did. It's what we have accepted, not what's going on inside all the time, which isn't always pretty. If we were justified by how we feel, that would be justification by works, and not grace. And a lot of us, we're just not emotionally charged in that way. So we need to know that, that it's not a sign of salvation. You know, if we're feeling a little bit low, that doesn't mean that, you know, we're suddenly not a believer anymore or we've lost our way. No. Because the, the love that God has for us, that what he has done for us, that is unbreakable, that is unshakable. But what it does, these, what do these moments do? They highlight for us a possibility that it's possible to have a greater awareness of God, that it's possible to have a greater experience 
of what he has made available to us. And that should evoke a hunger in us for more of that. And that's my prayer for every one of us, for my kids, for my family, for our church, that we would have a hunger to experience more of him because I believe we need it. We need to have that encouragement. We need to have that sense of realness in our faith if we're going to have an unshakable faith. You shouldn't live by your emotions, but you've got to be hungry. That's my point there. And it's a balance. You shouldn't expect to always be on a high, but you should have a hunger for more. Okay, my last point. Quick one here. To be a, a faithful un- follower of an unshakable faith, you need to exhibit God generously. I'm talking about the end of that passage. Interesting thing here is that they experienced boldness and then they gave away their money. Now, reasons for withholding money for selfishness, what could they be? Well, it could be like greed, it could be materialism, and I'm sure sometimes that is the reason, but I think generally in church, that's not the reason why we don't give. Often, it's not stinginess, it's not that we're not generous in nature, but it's fear. When God is unreal, your money is more real. When God is not spiritually real, to your heart, you're scared to be generous. But as we experience God, we become radically generous. It's, it's a natural effect. As that my trust is in God, like I have nothing to fear. This way these guys could sell their house, they could sell their belongings and just give away. They could have that radical generosity. I don't think any of us are there where those guys are, right? <laughs> um, but it seems to be an effect that as they, their faith rose in God, as they had a boldness, the, the, the outflowing of that was generosity. A, rad, a radical generosity. If we experience God, we can become more generous as a result. Okay, I'm just going to invite the band up now as we come to a close. So I want to leave us, hopefully, with some questions to ponder this morning. How do we get these marks of a faithful follower? I think we all want to be faithful followers. We all want to have an unshakable faith, if not just for ourselves, but for also for our family, for our kids, and for our church family. We want to have a faith that stands the test of time, right? That um, we, we are, we're eager to get hold of this wisdom that is in the book of Acts. And so an interesting thing is, is that the place, it says that the place was shaken, when God visited them. The place was shaken, but they were emboldened. What is the key there? The key is that what we experienced this past week, what we experienced last Sunday, today, what we experienced on a Thursday night, it's his presence. That is the key. Historically, God's presence caused shaking because the earth cannot contain the presence of God. The substance of God, his holiness, his righteousness is more than the earth can contain. It's so much greater. His substance is greater. So, so what happened? You can see it throughout the Old Testament when God visited the mountain, the mountain shook. You know, people couldn't go near him because he was so holy. He was so righteous. The substance of him is just so great. And we see it on the time of Calvary when Jesus was at the cross. The earth shook from the judgment of God. And we see again on Easter Sunday, just some days later, the earth shook as death was broken. And we read about in the Old Testament how Isaiah, he was undone. We were singing that this morning, like to be undone. Isaiah was undone because God's glory was just too great. But now we read that the the presence of God that shakes things up actually emboldens the faithful, they can actually cause boldness to rise in us. Always remember this uh, famous evangelist, R.W. Schambach, classic American preacher. He said, there's a whole lot of shaking going on, but the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. One of my favorite lines. <laughs> Always try to find a way to get into a message. Now, when the earth shakes, we as his vessels are left unshaken. We are emboldened. The more the earth shakes the more his people are emboldened. In this time of shaking this past year, it revealed the status of our faith. Were we emboldened? Did we run to God? Did our prayer life become intensified? I'm glad to see that was the case for many of us. 
but let's continue to press in on that. Let's continue to be hungry. Let's continue to strengthen our faith to get to that place of unshakable faith. Jesus says, paraphrasing here, I was shaken to pieces so that you could be unshakable. Now he took the judgment. He, he defeated death so that we can be unshakable, that we can stand on a firm foundation of rock, rock solid. That's how our faith can be. We we're just praying this morning about being like an oak tree and Matthew was sharing about the, the seeds that are sown and asking that question, which are you? What's the status of your health? How are you growing? And as a young Christian, you're like a, a, a small young tree just set out there and the wind shakes you and it can, be a, it can be a real challenge to your faith. But you know, if we are intentional about it, if we're intentional about serving him, if we stay faithful, we can grow into that mighty oak tree that can bless others, that can shield others, that can be there for others, that can pour out and invest in others. And then the, the, the winds of, of our day of whatever's going on in the world, that won't be a problem for you. You can withstand that. But in order to not be shaken, you have to be aware that as in 1 John 4, 4, it tells us, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The, the substance of one who's in you is greater than anything else that's going on around the world. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance or the realization of things hoped for, the evidence or the confidence of things not seen. It's good to ask questions about how we're doing. Good to do a health checkup. Ask the Holy Spirit, shine your spotlight. Reveal things to me. Make it real to me. I don't want to have a disconnect. I don't want to have a disinterest towards you. I want to have a personal relationship. I want to have a, a real relationship, a, a, a life-giving relationship for the sake of my life and for the life of people around me. Let's just stand as we're about to go back into worship just before I pray for concluding of this service. So in other words, in order to have an unshakable faith, we need to be aware of what we have on our side and let that truth be our courage. Guilt and shame. Jesus says, I took that. Fear of the future says, I'm guaranteeing that. Even though you might not understand the suffering that you're going through, we know that we can face the future because he got involved in our suffering. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives, but we know more. We know that our Redeemer died for us, that he took our place. He's guaranteeing it for us. We know that so well that our response should be that, I can trust you, Lord. I'm never gonna leave you. My commitment to you is unconditional. Jesus came down so that when God comes down into our life, it will make us unshakable. I just wanna pray for all of us, those of you watching at home, those of you in attendance, just ask you to open up your heart to God this morning. Believe the Holy Spirit wants to manifest things in your life, truths, realities that's gonna bring freedom to you, it's gonna help you become that unshakable follower of Christ that He desires for you, desires for your family, desires for your community. Lord, I thank you this morning for that you revealed truth to us. You revealed your nature to us in your word. And as we look at this passage of the book of Acts, Lord, we see something modeled for us that you want us to get a hold of this morning. You've revealed the marks of a true believer, a faithful follower, Lord. Let those be the marks over this church, over us, Lord. Help us understand where we stand this morning, Lord God. Help us, you help us make sense of what are our next steps. Lord, I know that some of us don't know you as we should know you, not on a personal level. Lord, I pray for those people, Lord, that you would come into their life in a very unique and personal way. You would speak to them in a personal way, just as you always do, Lord God. 
that they would develop that two-way relationship with you, Lord, that you would let them know it's, it's not difficult. You haven't made it hard. You're not a God that's far, but you're a God that's near. Help us delight in our times with you, Lord God. And Lord, for those that have been relying on works, they've been striving, they've been fretting over the fact that they don't feel good about their faith, that they're missing something maybe. I pray for those people that they're not relying on works, not relying on the condition of their emotions, but they're relying and they're leaning on what Jesus did, what he did for us all. That it comes with guarantees, it comes with a certainty. Let that be our confidence, Lord. And Lord, for those of us that we're not being consistent, maybe. We're maybe not being deliberate enough. We're not being intentional. We're not exhibiting that generosity as we know we could. Lord, help us. Help us to live as these believers in living this type of unshakable faith, Lord. And I thank you that comes from a place of revelation, comes from a place of encounter as you reveal stuff about you as you make things clear to us, that there'll be an overflowing in our life, a life of servanthood, a, a, a life of generosity, a life of seeking you, seeking a wisdom, seeking to grow deeper in you, Lord God, that we're not satisfied, but we remain hungry for more of you, Lord God. I just pray for our church right now, Lord. I thank you that we're coming out of a season in the wilderness, Lord that you sustained us in the desert, Lord, and you're bringing us into a season of promise now, Lord God. Lord, help us to just get excited about the future because we know you are. You're excited about the future of us people in this church, Lord. You're excited about those people that we're gonna reach. You're excited about the households that are gonna come to faith, Lord. You're excited about these faith initiatives of growing our reach, of seeing people discipled on a greater level, I've seen ministry on a, a level we've never seen before, Lord. Fruitfulness that we've never seen before, Lord God. Help us to share in that. Help us share in your heart this morning, Lord God. So Lord, as we go back into worship now, thank you that you speak to us, Lord. Throughout this week, Lord, you call us into that quiet place. Throughout this summer, let this be a new season for us. Let this be a season where our faith goes from strength to strength. We develop this unshakable faith that will see us stand the test of time. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.